Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and as always, this is my co-host. And my name is Chris Huddleston. And today we are both very excited to be talking to you about the 1988 Japanese animated feature, Akira. Uh, All right. The story is you and your friends went out at night on your bikes to visit your dying mother, and then another bunch of other biker hooligans called the clowns attacked you. They hurt your friend, you lost your temper, and that's why eight of these clowns are all now in the hospital. And that is the truth. Uh-huh. school anymore. Now you're king of the mountain, aren't you? But it's all garbage! Near Tokyo is going to change soon. We aren't the ones who will change it. Wait for the wind called Akira. You've got to return to the laboratory! Listen to me! It's my brain! What have you done? That which is called science will be That which is called civilization devastates the spirit of man! You changed my friend, didn't you? Your friend has made his choice. We have every indication that Akira is about to manifest itself. The moment of Lord Akira's awakening is drawing closer. The time of atonement is upon us. Are your hearts prepared? The time is nigh! Okay, good trailer. Do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddleston? I do. Uh, as you said, it's a 1988 film. The only name that I'm going to try to uh, pronounce is the director, who is Katsuhiro Atomoto, Atomo. That's probably totally butchered that. But. Yeah. Uh, and here is the synopsis. 2019, 31 years after being destroyed during World War III, Tokyo, now Neo-Tokyo, has been rebuilt and is a thriving metropolis. Shotaro Kanada is the leader of a biker gang. His friend Tetsuo is injured in an accident and taken to a top secret government facility. He develops telekinetic powers, but decides to use them for evil rather than good. He has the same powers as Akira, the force that destroyed Tokyo in, 1990, in 1988, and now it appears that history will repeat itself. Yes. So there is a synopsis. Very good. Very straightforward. It's um, a little, this movie is not quite as straightforward as No, that. no, not at, at all. all. Um, I had never actually watched Akira. Yeah, so jump into it. Tell us, uh, me and the listeners, what you what had you, you thought you, you had this. seen it? 
Yeah, I th- I want to say this is probably the third time I've watched this. I wa- the first time was 15 20 years ago. I watched it again maybe 5 years ago and and then uh last night for the for the recording. So yeah, I was yeah, I, you know, I'd forgotten a lot uh since I had seen it the last time, but yeah, what what did you th- think this was going to be versus what it was? Well, um I had seen the trailer, uh, and I have watched, you know, some anime. I am a hardly a connoisseur, and I guess you probably—I'm—I'm I'm not even quite an enthusiast. But uh, there's, you know, been a number of anime stuff that I've saw uh, uh, that I've seen and really enjoyed. So, and I know that this is a seminal um, work. So, um, what I was delighted by—I mean, I liked it. I'll just tip my hand there. I thought it was great. Um, you know, even though aspects of the animation are feel a little dated, uh, the film was made in 88. And so, so some of the styles is seems familiar from other anime of that period and so forth. There is a lot in it that still feels um, fresh even today. And certainly going into it knowing that it was so influential and that a number of other great works of science fiction, both animated and live action, um, have drawn from it. It was easy to see um, the influence that this film has had. It, you know, in, in, it's animated, cell animation. It's not computer animation, right? 1988, mm-hmm. they hand drew it, but they did a lot of really interesting layering techniques the light in you know the lighting and you think well lighting in a yeah but i mean you know you animate things like a movie and so there's going to be sources of light all the way up to the concepts of what this futuristic so the the neo tokyo is set in 2019 not too far removed from where we have just recently been and neo tokyo felt familiar to blade runner 2049 and the matrix and um, you know, all kinds of futuristic visions of the super city of the future. I, I, I thought, um, you know, I, I was a little interested. I mean, I, you see the picture of his, uh, Akira or as it's pronounced, I guess, in the Akira. Film, Akira. Yeah. Uh, is actually this kind of super powerful child, a telekinetic force. It's not all the pictures I had seen of of the movie have to do with this super futuristic motorcycle and this young uh, kind of a bike gang member in his you know red leather jumper. And I I just assume oh that's Akira. No no that's not Akira at all. Yeah, yeah. right. That's uh we follow this guy and there's a, there's another guy in his gang and they're just kind of a bunch of punks that feels really really familiar to 80s um, dystopian things, like they're gangs that mm-hmm. just operate with disregard of law. And and they kind of get sucked into this thing by accident. You know, there's this government program. So a lot of these tropes feel like stock tropes to, you know, dystopian movies in general, but certainly in the 80s, it's a familiar flavor. It's the execution, I think, that made it feel so fresh um, in, in, a, in a hundred little ways. 
Um, see, having seen it, uh, so I'm going to pass it over to you in a minute. But one of the things I thought when I finished is like that I would like to see that on a much, much bigger screen. And oh, yeah. I would like to see that at least once more. And it probably sustains like you probably see something else in it every time you watch it. That's how dense and rich the the fabric of the society it creates is. Yeah, I, I don't think just one viewing of this is enough, really. I mean, it's definitely a movie that you can revisit. And... Uh, yeah, it's so for me, um, I'm in the same boat as you that I have not seen a lot of anime. You know, I had seen this one. I've seen Ghost in the Shell. Um, you know, when we were kids, there were lots of, of anime TV shows. Um, but, you know, those were for kids. Those weren't for adults. Um, and I was reading some some you know, stuff on Wikipedia and IMDb and all of that today. And they were just talking about how for this really hit, you know, pretty mainstream in the United States. And they were just saying how in 1988, how not just fresh this would have been, but shocking in a lot of ways to audiences who weren't used to this kind of animation. Um, just, you know, cause it's very violent, you know, there's a lot of blood um, and, you know, it's obviously, you know, very, very much intended for adults. Um, trying to th think of some of the other big ones maybe that I've seen. I said I, Ghost ghost in the Shell, right? Yeah, I was thinking, I, I guess I actually in my mind was prepared for it to be much, much, much more graphic yeah. than it actually was. And then I, I had the thought, oh, this kind of, this kind of uh, opened a door. That some people, you know, I, th I think more grotesque ones I've seen since clearly were influenced by this film. Sure. Because there are moments of it that feel really shocking, even though this one predates a lot of the more graphically shocking ones I've seen since. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, and I'm sure it, you know, it other uh, films were influenced by this because it what I was reading, the um, the budget was about five and a half million dollars. Um, but they said that was a really big budget for a Japanese animated film at the time. And they said mm -hmm. there were actually several companies that went together to, um, you know, because not one company wanted to uh, take all the risk. Uh, but then it it cost five and a half million in the U.S. It did twenty five million in in theaters, and then it did another eighty million on home video. Dope. So you know it was a massive massive hit. Um, the in a way, it's somewhat interesting that I'm I'm not necessarily a big anime film because I love traditional animation. I'm I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of computer animation, but I love this. I mean, this animation is so detailed and it's just, just to, watching it from a standpoint of just thinking about all the work that went into it. I was reading, there's 150,000 cells that were used for this. And mm -hmm. when you were talking about the color, they were saying, this was something that I never really thought about, but they said that, you know, a lot of this takes place at night. And they said that, um, animators don't 
often like to do nighttime scenes or movies that are primarily, you know, in the dark because of the color issues that you get into. And they said they created 30 colors for this, which wow. I thought was, was, was interesting. So, I mean, it's just, there's so much detail in this. Um, they also said that, uh, I don't know if this is more commonplace now, but they said at the time with, with Japanese animation, they typically uh, animated it first and then went in and did the dialogue. So they said a lot of times, you know, they wouldn't necessarily have a, a script that was complete. It would just be kind of an idea of a script. Whereas this, they did it the opposite way. They had the script completely written. Um, the The dialogue was all recorded and then they did um, the animation. And I, I huh. think, you know, it's, so, it's such a complex story that I can't imagine doing it any other way than that you know well I, that seems to me like what they do by default now you get the actors yeah. in and you get the audio performances down right and then you go and the animators get to take all of the little suggestions and flair and flavor that the actors put in the audio track and that and use that as inspiration for you know, little surprises that might not have made it into the storyboard in terms of humanizing the the animated characters. Right. Now, in terms of that, did you, which version did you watch? Did you watch the Japanese uh, subtitled or did you watch the dubbed version? I watched it dubbed, although I did as well. I, I've only scratched the surface of, you know, obviously there's a lot written about this movie. You could take courses on this movie. Um, mm-hmm. And and I online I saw a reference to several different versions of an American dub. Um so I don't know which American language dub, English language dub I watched, but I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. It's not bad. Um one thing I think with this movie that would maybe scare away people who aren't into, you know, the, the only animation they watch is like Pixar movies or whatever, or people who, um, you know, really aren't into anime, but they're testing the waters. I mean, I think this is definitely, would definitely be one to test the waters with, but there's a, one thing that I had forgotten about is, you know, it's this very serious, dark, you know, sci-fi story, but then you have thrown in these very slapstick elements Mm -hmm. that, that seem Especially, I think, to an American audience seems very weird. Um, Give me an example. So when they're uh, in the early on in the film, when the uh, the main biker gang that, that you know, that we're following, which I forget what they are called, but, you know, they have the pills on their back and then their rivals are the clowns and um, they get arrested and they're in the police station and those cops are kind of you know, they're sort of over the top and there's, uh, uh, there's like one, uh, I think it's Canada calls a one cop old man. And he's like, I'm, I'll have, you know, I'm 25 years old. I'm not even married yet. You know, I don't know. It's just, I don't know if it's just the, um, if it's just animation in general that they, it's these kind of over the top vocal performances, you know, um, I don't know. I just felt like that was kind of uh, jarring at times. 
Yeah, I, I find that consistent with anime in general. The, and I, yes, I, I would I agree with that. I wonder about yeah. it. I wonder, like... I don't know if that's a cultural thing or what. I don't know. Yeah, and I've never been to Japan, and I don't no. know much about Japanese culture. I would love to go to Japan. Yeah. I, I'd love to visit, because I think that both cultures... Japanese and American culture have a kind of a fascination fascination with each other. Yes. And there's a lot of overlap, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot of common ground. But I do feel like when you watch anime, there are certain common themes that, you know, and this is where I want to start treading a little more lightly because I don't have some thesis behind this or anything else. But mm-hmm. I do feel like there are certain cultural um norms or kind of you know tent poles that differ that you see again and again like there's always the not always but frequently you see there's some sort of council of elders or a group of of elders that have you know a one narrative in the film there's the military and and or the government sometimes it's the same thing and sometimes it's different like here the cops are clearly differentiated from this sort of military organization that is kind of like the CIA in America but it's it's like a higher echelon of they have cooler equipment and you know obviously a bigger budget and more access and they're running a secret program, right? And there's a lot mm-hmm. of overlap in American film with that too. Um, and then you, you've got the kind of street gang, you've got the biker gang and the sort of um, not everyday Joe, but the anti-hero that's younger and, and, and fits in this, you know, he's just boots on the ground, doesn't have the access or advantages, but he's hustling, he's doing whatever he can. He's a neo, right? He's a... Yeah. Um, and then... There's usually some core concept that bridges all of them. Like in this case, it's it's Akira or Akira and and this telekinetic whatever that they're they're creating these beings that are. I don't know. It it seems a little dated now um, because I think it's been done so many times derived from so many times but it's like uses the whole brain and they have kind of professor xavier mental they're telekinetic right mm-hmm. um and then it, so we discover that there's this like group that they, they look they're children essentially but they're aged so it's a spin on the council of elders because the elders are actually kids and they're the ones who kind of know everything and they're we must Make control the you know, whatever you know it mustn't be allowed to escape the thing, mm-hmm. and and they're they're working at their level, and then they're in sort of concert with the elite military. They're 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 kind of ones that execute, and then the cops are you know the cops are on the ground that's sort of taking whatever orders they get, but they're not let into everything, and they end up kind of getting. The rough end of it usually because they're the f- sort of first responders. And then there's the folks on the street and the renegade. And sometimes it Neo is the renegade. And sometimes, like in this movie, Neo is not the renegade. The renegade turns out to be Neo's buddy who always had kind of a chip on his shoulder because he doesn't like being second string to Neo, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this other guy kind of accidentally comes in contact with one of these 
telekinetic kids and it unlocks this power in him, infects him in some way, and he rapidly becomes um, more and more telekinetically powerful, but he wasn't raised in a test tube the way these kids were, so he's just this punk with a chip on his shoulder and, and something to prove that was suddenly handed this godlike weapon, right? Yeah. So he breaks bad almost immediately, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I, saying it, spelling it out like that makes it sound like, well, that doesn't sound all that interesting. But it's it's only sounds that way because you've seen so much derivative stuff inspired by this since. Yeah. You know? And I feel like in anime you get um, you get that those kind of tears. You get the kind of elders, and they're presumed to be infallible. And in a number of films I've seen, it, it turns out they're like in American movies, it's the AI. You're like, well, it's the one protecting us, and then it turns out, oh no, man is the problem. So the AI is actually working against us, right? The the Council of Elders are the bad guys in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just. I guess I started off saying there were sort of cultural um, tenets that come up again and again, and I got way off topic. But there's a part of me that's like I, I sort of wish I understood Japanese culture in a little more first-person way because some of these leave me feeling a little outside of the reality of the movie, wondering about stuff that I'm, I, I imagine the Japanese audience might you know, understand in a richer way. Does that make sense? Oh, sure, sure, yeah. And and I've definitely had that feeling as well. I mean, this again, this one is maybe it's so it's so popular and viewed as such a classic um, in the U.S. because of the accessibility of it. Because there, I can't think of any specific examples, but there are other anime. You know, there's a ton of anime shows and uh and movies on netflix and and some of them i've tried and i've really enjoyed and some of them you know i just couldn't get into at all and i i think i you know i don't know that this was made with uh these were uh these were you know comics uh, manga i think is is how they pronounce it you know graphic novels before Mm. before it was an uh, before it was animated, but um, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, this exactly. But I well, there, I there's think been there's been talk about making a live action version of this for more or less since it came out. Do you know anything about that? Because there's lots of yeah. articles on the internet about that. Yeah, um, the most recent uh, person that I uh, and, and just on IMDb right now, it's saying in development, but it doesn't say who it's it's in development by. But um, Jordan Peele was was attached to it, sure. which could that do interesting stuff with it. Yeah, that would be great. And I mean, I guess he's you know like a super fan of it. Uh, and I don't know it if it would be cool because he could bring some diversity into it too. Yeah, for sure. For one sure. One thing that I perceive, and I could be totally wrong about this, but one thing that I perceive about Japanese culture is that it is not very diverse. If most of the people who live in Japan are Japanese, and mm-hmm. it's an island, it's a fraction of the size of the United States. But for well, an American also, audience, I think more and more seeing diversity on screen feels more inclusive to everyone. I find it engaging. Like I like to see other, other shapes and sizes and colors of uh, you know people walks of life. That's just kind of my American brain. Like I sure. dig that. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. There's an interesting thing that you get into is uh, when they did the Ghost in the Shell movie yeah. with, uh, what's her name? Yeah. Um, Scarlett did Johansson. You, did you see that? I did. And I, did you, what did you think of it? I thought it was okay. I didn't, it was okay. I, I didn't, uh, I didn't hate it. I mean, it was interesting. There but, were elements of it that I thought were super dope, like design elements of it. That yeah, I, it looked they, great. There were these sort of geisha robots that I thought were really scary and awesome. You know, their faces mm-hmm. kind of came apart, and I, I thought that was really cool. And they did neat CGI stuff with their sort of body armor, but casting Scarlett Johansson felt like, ah, you know, I'm a fan. I like Scarlett Johansson. I just feel like that was an American studio's idea that we need to put you know scarjo in there to anchor it somehow for that'll that's who will come but it's it is such an iconic japanese property and they they put some other actors in there that i think in periphery that that they thought might tether it but there are terrific i mean even just asian american it doesn't have to be a japanese actor playing the lead sure per se but there are so many uh, Asian and or Asian American actors that are also terrific that it just felt it felt jarring seeing a Caucasian face um, in the centerpiece of that movie to me. Yeah, it had other problems. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Yeah, so that was, she wasn't the only problem with it. Yeah, but so then you get into the thing of you know they do a Hollywood version of it and it's not. You know, if if they do a diverse cast, if it's not all Japanese, then are people going to be, you know, upset about that? I, I think when you say, well, I, I think if you said it in Neo Tokyo and you tried to do colorblind casting, that would be absurd in the other direction. Right. Mm-hmm. You see that sometimes you see it. This was clearly written for a cast of white people and they just sprinkled in and you're kind of like, well, that's not how race works. Certainly not in America. You know, that. You need somebody, you need to write the character with a sensibility that makes some sense. And I think if, uh, the, when you say Jordan Peele, I think the stuff, I haven't seen everything he's done, but the stuff of his that I've seen um, is very smart. And, he, and his love for the source material is very strong. Like I wa- was watching on HBO, the uh, Lovecraft Country. Yeah. And, you know, it's a little all over the place, but it's it's derivative. He takes a property that he loves and then he kind of makes his own thing out of it that explores the black experience and, and history and, and, and different stuff. So I guess you wouldn't hand it to Jordan Peele, in my mind, if you wanted some literalist interpretation. I mean, I think if he was going to do that, he would probably work with Japanese actors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... um which could also be great because I think he's a smart and good director. But if you handed it to him and gave him license, I think he would probably make something more American than Japanese and something that honored the source material but was also new and its own thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. not set in 1988. But I don't know. I don't know what would he do. I, I, he does exciting stuff, so it'd be interesting to see whatever it was. And watching this, I was thinking, especially towards the end, I was thinking about you know, live action version. I hope it, I mean, it eventually is going to happen. I, I, I would imagine, but I hope it does. Uh, I think it would be cool to see a live action version of this. Obviously I'd, you know, I'd want it to be done well. 
I just wonder how it would do because this is a weird movie. You know, the, the ending of it is, uh, uh, Tetsuo, the one, um, guy that, you know, that you were saying eventually, you know, essentially becomes a God. He, uh, at the end begins mutating and just turns into this giant blob that's just kind of consuming everything. And, right. you know, we've seen weird, um, you know, I think it's something like Guardians of the Galaxy, which is pretty weird, but it's funny, you know, <laughs> where this is weird and not funny, not, you know, not meant to be funny. Right. Uh, so it would just be interesting to see how this would do because I'm sure all the super fans of this movie would turn out for it but would, you know, general, unless they change a lot, would general mainstream audiences get it? Right. Well, I watch this and I would say, so how do you categorize this? It's, it, there's definitely a horror element to it. Mm-hmm. It's sci-fi, certainly, because it's futuristic, and action, because there's the bikes and the thrilling combat sequences and everything else. Sci-fi because of the telekinetic action, but... The body horror of it is undeniable. Um, yes. And uh, when you say Jordan Peele, I also I know he's a horror fan. So yeah. I think you would have to hit that note and you'd have to hit it pretty clear and pretty hard whether or not there was a ton of gore and blood on the screen. There tonally the horror here is pervasive as is Tatsuo, is that his name? Tet- Tetsuo, I think. Yeah, that's yes. how they say it, yeah. Um, uh, as he start, as this power sort of start to come on and as these other sort of child uh, elders are projecting, you know, his little toys kind of come to life and monstrous. They're sort of trying to control him and mess with his head. And the, the, there are things, that, there's a sequence where his guts kind of fall out. He falls to his hands and knees and his guts kind of, explode out of his chest and yeah. then we the next shot is him he's like ah you know he sits up on his knees he's like, ah, trying to shove him back in but and we see that he's fine like to us he's fine but this is very real happening happening in his mind and so there's it's very effectively paints this like reality is different to each of us and and, and yet also here is a kid that begins to be able to manifest his reality in our reality. And it really starts to play with the different, just as there's different layers in the cell animation, there's different layers to reality and what circle, first circle, second circle, third circle, you know, the audience is at a given moment. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I really felt like I needed to watch it again. I wanted, I would like to take a class <laughs> in this yeah, and then watch it again, like on a big screen with uh, you know my classmates and be like, wow, that's amazing, because yeah, I didn't I w- appreciate uh, I didn't appreciate Citizen Kane either until I took a class on it, and then I realized, oh, here's all the stuff that was done for the first time in this film. Exactly, yeah, and I was and actually then you're like, that's incredible. <laughs> Citizen Kane came to mind when you were when you were talking earlier about how um, how much other movies have derived from this because. It's it's like it's ex- exactly because I, I took a, a film class in in college, too. Uh, and, you know, they, of course, covered uh, Citizen Kane. And it's, it's that same thing where, 
you know, it's like he created the establishing shot. Like nobody had done that before, you know, where it's like, okay, this is, you know, the building that we're going to be in. And, you know, you, you do a shot of it outside and then, you know, before you're inside and, and uh, so just all these things that you, that you just take for granted. And I mean, it's citizen Kane is still a great movie and it's the same thing with this. It's a great movie, but you know, you've seen a ton of, of other movies that have, have taken so much from And this. just to stick on that for a minute, like, so when you read a script or, it, you know, he came from a theater background, when you're reading the script, it's like setting, um, you know, the newspaper office day. And then it, you know, then it, you, then you're in the scene. And that's just the visual equivalent of that. Like mm-hmm. we give it the establishing shot is that stage direction of like, you know, here's where we are. Scene eight, we are here. You know, then interior, right? And it, so you start from the outside to establish it and you push in. And nowadays you think, duh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Before that, you know, he was like, well, why don't we show them where we are? And <laughs> Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, so. if you don't see that, it's disorienting. Yeah. You'd be like, where are we? What, yeah, where, where, <laughs> where, we were just here. Now we're here. What's going on? Yeah. Um, another thing with with the you know live action version of this we're finally at the point that i think they could really with the technology that they have now they could really do it justice i think you know if they if somebody had tried to do this in 1995 something like that the you know the animation the the computer animation ability wasn't there at the time and you know to try to do this thing with where tetsuo is is uh you know turning into this big blob and everything i mean it it would have to be computer animated and you know they could they could finally make it look good now but i don't know that 15 20 years ago they could have right so so yeah it would be i mean i don't know that i need to see another animated version of this i think this is beautiful Beautifully animated. It would be interesting to see someone do a competent live action. I'm talking, yeah, I mean, I mean live action, but they would need, you know, it would have to be heavily CGI to do a lot of this stuff, you know. It would be really cool to see it if they could build sets and do as much of it. Like, I know Blade Runner 2049, we keep coming back to that. I know there's a lot of CGI in that, but it feels really practical. And I tell you. They built sets to do a lot of those things, and the sets are so artistically ingenious that when you're flying around the car and it's definitely CGI looking down on the cityscape, and then you're inside one of the buildings he lands at, it feels utterly seamless to me. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe, I don't know, people that listen to this that aren't uh, uh, as into him as a filmmaker as what we are, probably just like, oh, they're talking about that guy again, but... We are. He would be a dream director for a live action Akira. I mean, uh, imagine man. that. That would be pretty amazing. This would be. I mean, I know it's already a feature film. Like you could. The the trick with it. I liked Watchmen too. We talk about Watchmen on here. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the. I don't have a lot of criticisms of Watchmen, but if if I had to voice criticism one of them is is that it's almost it feels so it's it feels almost shot for shot for the graphic novel yeah it pretty much is i mean it feels like it used the graphic novel as a storyboard and 
as a purist, you'd be like, well, that's what I want. And then you see it and you're kind of like, yeah, I know, but I already read, I read the graphic novel. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's weird how that feels like a criticism to me, but it, it was so faithful to the source material that I find my, I found myself wishing somehow, and I'm sure they made it thinking most people have not read the source material. Mm-hmm. I hadn't. I saw the thing coming out and I thought the trailer looked great, so I went and found the source material and bought it and read it. Mm-hmm. And then watched the movie. You know, I, but I read the source material and I loved it. And then I watched the movie and I thought, wow, that was verbatim. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't suppose that is actually a criticism, except it felt, I felt a little disappointed at how verbatim it felt somehow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I understand. I get it. So you wouldn't oh. want to, you wouldn't want to make a live action thing that's just shot for shot the same movie. No. You'd want to, and you wouldn't want to set it in 1988 because seeing a movie where the future is 2019 now feels wrong. I think that's why they get away with Blade Runner 20. I mean, that was set in 2019. So you, you could only go so far forward and still use Deckard, still use Harrison Ford as Deckard. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. I just. I, you know, you'd, you'd need to do it. You'd, you'd want to think about it a lot <laughs> yeah, in yeah. doing it. You know, I think this would be a, I think perfect scenario for this would be Netflix, you know, because. A series. A, a series, even, even a movie, but, but a series would be cool because I think a studio, um, a studio version of this, they would sanitize it too much you know i think they would want to make it too uh i could just see executives you know wanting to do all kinds of things to make it more palatable to the widest possible audience and i think i think that would cause a lot of problems i agree Uh, actually this would be this would be a movie and i was thinking i didn't say anything about it i was thinking early about neuromancer Mm mm-hmm Another thing that they toyed with live action and and uh, Thomas Thomas Gibson, right, the author. Mm-hmm. We we did uh, Johnny Mnemonic and some of his other work just didn't translate quite so great, and I think that made people gun shy. But it's it's terrific science fiction from the eighties. That would be a good series because the scope of that is so sprawling. Yeah. Literally he refers to the, the the new Tokyo of that is called the Sprawl and it's a city that it's a sort of a mega city one. It's, it stretches all up the east coast. Um you could do a series, you can stretch that into a, you know, eight to thirteen episode series that really, really could have a great time peeling back the onion and going deeper and deeper because I think it's just a terrific property and you couldn't capture it in a you know a two-hour movie you just couldn't Mm -hmm. you would yeah again that's another that's another Netflix thing you know Netflix is doing uh Netflix is doing Neil Gaiman Sandman I don't know if you've ever read any any of the Sandman Mm -hmm. comics but they're amazing and again, it's something where I, I think they've tried to do a theatrical version of, and it's just it's just too dense and too strange and you know too fantastical. But with Akira, 
for people who, so people that are listening to this and they're maybe not into anime or they've never seen Akira, who do you think this would appeal to? Because I know, you know, I can, I can think of people that I'm close to who, you know, kind of like science fiction, you know, they like Star Wars and they like Guardians of the Galaxy and, you know, they like, you know, 80s stuff like the Terminator and everything. But I think this might be, this might be a little too weird for them. Well, you, you know? know, I wouldn't recommend it to my parents. No. Um, <laughs> but I do think there's a sort of a Venn diagram where if you if you have any interest in anime and if you like sci-fi, like did you like The Matrix? Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Well, The Matrix was was very influenced by this, you know. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm just saying yeah, like sure. you know, if if you're into kind of mind-bending sci-fi or the concept of It's cyberpunk. So people there's people yes. like cyberpunk stuff, you know. Yes, if you're into that and and you have any interest in anime at all, and I'm trying to think what the third, you know, if you're not, if you're at least casually into horror, like it's not torture porn, it's not, you know, it's it's body horror. And it gets this. pretty gnarly. I mean, it's it's pretty disturbing, but it's not like I, you know, I I don't think you're gonna have nightmares about it or anything. Look, I'm a pretty squeamish cat like mm -hmm. I, I do not like the body horror stuff like when I first saw the thing it really upset me but when we went back and watched the thing it didn't mm -hmm. um, some of the stuff where it's like somebody screaming as their arm kind of bubbles and turns into something else like that's not I don't like that in general mm -hmm. you know and I'm an adult and I'll watch it and I'll kind of cringe and be like oh ay 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 you know yeah. but I'm not like yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, and this didn't trigger that for me. I mean, I, like I say, I've seen, if you saw, um, what's the Matrix anime, uh, Matrix? Oh, the Animatrix. Yeah. Animatrix. It's fantastic. There's, there's at least one of those where they show the rise of the robots and the war and the robots basically tormenting humanity. And I was just like, oof, watching that. I'm like, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like seeing the robots like pulling it's, people apart it's pretty disturbing yeah yeah i thought you know you were trying to go for like making me feel sick and you want you win like mm -hmm. you did that this movie didn't do that for me but maybe in 88 it would have um this movie isn't about that no um and, and i don't think it's into a giant blob it's not i mean it's upsetting because you don't know what's happening, mm -hmm. right? And the people it's happening to don't know what hap don't know what's happening. So that's upsetting more than the the visuals are like, oh, oh my god, you know, for and me. I, and I think with this, you know, you touched on some of the um, the the anime that that was influenced by this and came later. And some of that stuff is really hardcore, and it's just. It's it's just to shock. I I feel like yeah. this never feels like it's not exploitative. You know, if if animation could be ex, you know exploitative, it's 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 never like oh we're gonna put this really gross thing in here. You know, so right now here's you'll an be, extended shot of a guy's head exploding. Just yeah, we think that would be cool to show. It's more that it just serves the story. I felt. Did you ever see the movie Chronicle? Chronicle. It sounds. What's it about? That the title sounds. I, I well, I might be getting the title wrong, but I think it's the the movie that I'm thinking about is these uh, high school friends. There's a meeting. That's the one. It's a it's a it's a found footage uh, 
it's like a first person, you know, where they're you're watching like the videotape of it or whatever. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah, it gives them it. all sort of telekinetic powers and one right. of them starts one of them breaks bad and mm-hmm. kid, considers himself an alpha predator. And there is that feels very derivative of this movie to me in the Yeah, way, that's a good comparison. I didn't I never thought that at the time when I saw it, but yeah. It in the was. way that the bad kid you know his process his his progression into giving himself license to just be you know to justify his own evil actions mm-hmm. and there's a shot in this where the two friends kind of confront each other and again with the names i i don't remember but who's the not the affected one but the main guy the bike gang leader. uh Kaneda. Kaneda and Tatsuo, yeah? Tatsuo? T- Tatsuo, I think it is, but it's okay. And Tatsuo is um, is the one with the powers. And he's always felt like second string and always had to felt like he was proving himself to Kaneda and he was always making mistakes and the other guys were ribbing him, right? Big chip on his shoulder. He's the one with these godlike powers now. And Kaneda, I think, has realized that his friend is now really dangerous mm-hmm. and he's got like a laser weapon and, you know, he confronts him and his tactic is bluster, you know, is not to be like, oh, just take it easy, man. He's like, Oh, so you think you're a big man now. Right. And, and, and they kind of sp- keep him talking. They kind of spar back and forth. But there's this one shot that I think is a brilliant shot where it's uh, like a low angle thing up from um, from Kaneda's uh, perspective of Tatsuo from below where he does this thing where, you know, Kaneda baits him and he does this sort of thing where he lifts his chin and it's this sort of dawning smile on his face like, mm-hmm. oh, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to mess with my head. And it's utterly insane and utterly evil mm-hmm. it, you know it's just this excellent depiction of him slipping down another rung into madness that really made me think of um what happens in the movie chronicle with yeah the, uh, with the kid who considers him maybe not the coolest and the girls don't like him or whatever now he's got these powers and he's like why shouldn't I? You know, you know, they're all bugs to me. Why shouldn't I kill them? Like, I have this power. Now that's, I can do whatever I want, right? Mm-hmm. I, I just, there's so many themes of that in this that feel, we've seen again and again in other movies since, but it still feels fresh here, especially in an animation. I'm like, man, you're animating that performance you're not just drawing it in a comic but you're actually making it happen in real time the way you would watch a human actor perform that moment and it's incredibly subtle and incredibly evocative yeah yeah i agree that that whole segment that that might be my favorite part of the whole movie i really like that that battle between the two of them it's yeah when the two friends confront each other yeah and yeah, I think you know there's great. some girl there they have girlfriends that are kind of these 
kind of dropouts. I mean, they don't have a they don't have motorbikes or whatever, but they all kind of show up and hang out with the guys and they get fairly mistreated. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. it's rough. Uh, it it feels it doesn't the the new Tokyo does not Neo Tokyo does not feel shiny and glossy. You know, you clearly see the giant billboards and the 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 money and the power at work in this modern futuristic city but on the ground like you just gotta you're you just gotta be careful or you're gonna get ground under the boot of you know what i mean it really doesn't feel like there it's a safe place mm-hmm. to, yeah. to be a citizen of any rank but certainly young poor you know untitled uh, un you know of no importance you just get chewed up and i felt like that was genuinely um impacting also in this movie and i kept like this is an animated movie like this is not you know like these performances are they're cartoons but the performances are and it's not verbal it's not like the um voice actor is doing all this like they animated this and it's just you're like wow i'm feeling that this is a cartoon oh yeah yeah for sure and there's a at the end the we haven't really talked about him much but you know the general who is um you know kind of overseeing all this and he has to go and get the one you know boy back that had escaped or whatever and he makes some i i should have uh, made a note of it because it it really stood out to to me but at the end he makes a um, some statement about, I don't know if it's the military, but he talks about capitalism and it's, you know, basically like essentially, you know, all these problems are because of capitalism, which I think not that that wasn't, you know, a thought that, that people had back at that time, but I think it's interesting with everything that's happening right now in our society and around the world, people's kind of changing views on capitalism. I, I think that's an interesting statement well, it, in the movie to me in the 80s in 88 it was Reagan especially you were in the height of yeah the reagan era you it know, was this was everything about down greed. concept and it's yeah. like it really on what it felt like and i was for i was not hungry a day in my life so i was fortunate but it re- really felt like was every man for himself mm-hmm. so you know if you were crushing it and you had a red camaro you see it in all the 80s teen movies like who's the bad guy it's the rich kid with the feathered hair and, you know, and, and, and he feels justified in being a total a-hole because he's at the top of the pyramid. And it was this sort of self-fulfilling, like, what are you going to do about it, nerd? Right? And it <laughs> yeah. wasn't about appreciate other people's viewpoints or, you know, everybody brings some value to the table or, hey – let's listen to what the other people have to say or, or, Hey, you do your thing. I'll do mine. It's like, it's a ladder. It's very linear and I'm at the top of it and you're at the bottom. And that means I get to kick you in the nuts. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I'm allowed to enjoy it because that's the the game we're playing right now. You know, it was terrible. I hated that time. It felt so unfair. And so, you know, anti everything I kind of believe in and, so you see stuff in the 80s talking about capitalism getting out of control. And now, of course, in 2021, 
who could have imagined in 88? Well, Bernie Sanders could have imagined in 88. <laughs> yeah, he was go. saying it then, yeah. But it's just, it's so much worse. Mm-hmm. It's so much worse now. Yeah. But yeah, there's sure. this sort of social thing that's kind of like, well, you know, I mean, come on, let's not, you don't get to kick other people in the nuts, but at the same time, yeah, I'm really sorry that, you know, you're dying from this totally preventable thing, thoughts and prayers, but I don't know what you want me to do about it. Well, we want you to change the system. That's mm-hmm. what we want you to do about it. Yeah. But there's people holding down two jobs and you get sick and you're dead because you don't have insurance. You can't afford insurance. You can't afford the treatment. Too bad. Sorry. I mean, I'm sincerely not glad you're dying. I'm sincerely sorry you're dying, but I'm not willing to do anything about it. Right? Right. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's an, superficially it's a warmer society where we're like oh that we're vocally saying oh we're, that's tragic but it's a, it's much colder in the sense that we could <laughs> we could do something about it but we're not yeah you anyway that's miss... my rant that's my uh, rant for the evening yeah yeah you you have the the you don't really have the uh you know the guy that is going to um take up you know in the 80s movies where he's gonna bulldoze the ski resort or whatever and so all the teenagers have to you know win you know somehow win it over or whatever you know that guy he's still gonna do those things but he'll tweet out you know a nice thing about diversity or something right you know but uh, i mean in that sense this movie in 1988 relatively i mean minus a giant so the event looks like a nuclear detonation. Right. That's what it looks like. It's like 1988. And that's what you've been initially watching it. That's what you think. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a big white, looks like a nuke goes Mm -hmm. off. And then we learn by the end that it's, that it's Akira has done this thing that he sort of does again. He kind of comes back and he does again, but he sort of saves the world this time. Like, I don't know how you interpret that. Does he like and create a whole new existence or, you know, does he split open another dimension? There's this sort of white ball that expands and then contracts, and he takes all the problematic folks with him, and it yeah. shrinks down to nothing, and then it's just gone. You know, so all of these sort of telekinetic gods are sort of removed in some way from... We don't know where they go or why or what. Like, Akadad doesn't speak. He's a kid, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Macabre, they dissected him apparently trying to figure out and they have all of his various body organs and body parts in these jars and you're like oh my god is that (laughs) nightmarish and then such is his power that somehow at the end he like in Watchmen he kind of reconstitutes himself I don't remember accurately exactly what triggers his return but do all of the other telekinetic kids sort of bind together and help make that happen or Anyway, he comes back. Yeah, I don't know, to 100%, to be honest. You know, that's another thing with the cultural differences. You know, I don't know enough about Japan in terms of how militarized they are. Um, I mean, I guess all, you know, definitely first world countries are to a degree, you know, have powerful militaries and powerful um, governments that are maybe doing things that the citizens don't, appreciate or don't know about but i wondered if how much of 
of what was going on with the military and the government was a statement on Japan or if it was a statement on us or it was just, you know, this is what we don't want to become. I wasn't, I wasn't, like I say, I don't know the, the cultural culture enough to, to really answer that, you know, question that I had for myself. I don't know. I, it felt very Japanese to me, but I, again, I think there are some similar similarities between the two cultures in terms of capitalism and fetishism of the military and mm -hmm. the, the opaqueness of the layer between the two. It, it actually, but it did feel like a movie in 1988, pretty accurately depicting a sentiment, the sort of, not that we have these mega cities with whatever, but it, it was pretty prescient in terms of predicting uh, a mentality that felt true to 2019, minus all the scientific hocus pocus of telekinesis. And yeah. Now the thing is, though, we know that governments have have you know our government, and I'm sure other governments have tried to to do things with telekinesis. You know, so there's and we know that there are UFOs now. I mean, this has yeah. been such a crazy year or two 2020 was such a crazy year that this wasn't even reported on but we have this footage released from the airports by these crazy objects defying what we understand as newtonian physics mm -hmm. and they're like that's accurate we don't we have no idea what that is <laughs> yeah. you know you could say there's no evidence that that's alien but Where's the technology on Earth that can accelerate from zero to whatever? You know, it just doesn't, right. physics doesn't operate that as far as we know. Yeah. And they acknowledged it. <laughs> they were just like, yeah. yeah, yeah, we have no idea what that was. <laughs> that was Instead of, of being like it was a weather balloon or it was, right? They're just like, that was real and we don't know. That was one of the things that I, I have to imagine that... Uh, that they never took Trump to Area 51 right. or They're where. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> because there's no way if they had an alien spaceship that Trump wouldn't be like, oh, I'm taking that. I'm going to fly around in this and I'm going to destroy my enemies. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's like, I'm sure they just well, had to be like. he couldn't keep his mouth shut about yeah, it, right? He wouldn't, be, he wouldn't be able to keep his mouth shut about it, you know. People are saying there's, you know, yeah, aliens. People, I'm just saying people are, you know, I'm not saying, but people are saying there could be aliens there. But, uh. Yeah, if you talk about the deep state, that's that they're like no. <laughs> I, I'm sure they kept thing. I, I mean, I'm sure they kept you know some of that stuff from him because there were other things that they didn't tell him about because they knew he was gonna, you know, he would blurt them out. But uh, uh, back to Watchmen for a minute. I mean, I think along the lines of this, you know, one of the things that's great about Watchmen is you have Doctor Manhattan, and there, if there were a Doctor Manhattan you know, especially if he were American, there's no doubt that the government would use him as an enemy or not uh, as an enemy, but as, as a, a weapon, weapon, you know, and th there's just no doubt of that. And there's no doubt that if they could, you know, take kids and have them control things with their mind, they would absolutely do that, you know? Uh, so I, I think that's an interesting uh, well, that's commentary a, that these kind of movies make. Yeah, these kind of movies. You're right, because Dr. Manhattan is this great exploration. I mean, he starts as human with a guy who's in love, right, and dies, but ultimately sort of becomes a god in this accident and horrifies his girlfriend and other people around him to various degrees as he adapts to 
Right? I mean, at one point he says something like, a dead body has exactly the same molecular structure as a live body. So it does what difference does it What does it, it matter? Right. Yeah. Like, you can't kill people. And he was like, why? Mm-hmm. Right? F- from a physics perspective, why not? Right? I mean, I understand you care about it, but the universe doesn't care about it. Yeah. And they're horrified. But you see this, what was a man sort of adapting to this, you know, trying to stand in both places, trying to relate to humanity and his former humanity, but also come to terms with his incredible power and expanded consciousness. And right. Mm -hmm. I mean, because he lives, he has a girlfriend, he lives on Earth like a person, but he's not anymore. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing of, you know, you think about Superman where he we would be, you know, really insects to him in reality you know um so one thing uh for people listening who are into anime um send us an email at chris and chris talk movies at gmail.com and tell us about uh other other anime that we should see i mean i it's something that i definitely i've watched a little more in the last kind of during quarantine i watched you know kind of checked out some series um uh there was one that i really liked a new newish i think it was made 2018 or 2019 on netflix um called devil man cry baby it's really really weird and very dark uh but it's a it's you know some interesting science fiction but you know if anybody's listening if there's stuff you know that you want to recommend to us um I'd, I'd like to watch more anime. I know there's I know there's stuff that I would enjoy. You know, it's not just I saw these one from giant the late ones. 90s or maybe it was two th- I'm trying to think no, no, no. It was 10 or 12 years ago cuz I don't think I had my son yet. Um called Appleseed. Mm-hmm. That they had made in Sal Animation first and then they remade um CGI. And the CGI one is the one that I saw, and it was it was interesting. Um, I don't think it's as seminal as uh, Akira for sure, but it was an interesting use of the computer generated um, technology to. It's a similar, you know, it's a future city, and there's a genetic element, and there's a council of elders, and mm-hmm. but there's some really cool. There are these sort of giant robotic platforms that are supposed to be defenders of the city, and they got co-opted and turned against the city. I mean, I don't know, there's some cool stuff in it. Yeah, I, I'm familiar with it, but I've but I've not seen it before. So, so what well, do you think about? Go ahead. Yeah, would I recommend it? I I would again. I think if there's a Vem diagram, like you're into, you have any interest in anime at all, and you're interested in sci-fi of the Matrix flavor, cyberpunk, um, and you're not completely turned off by the horror element of it like this is not horror in the way that saw is horror no or even the way that you know a lot of horror movies are as demonic possession like insidious or it's it's not that it's more like the thing where there's sort of a body horror and we don't know what's happening and something out of our control is unfolding and it threatens our very existence if if none of that is off-putting to you i think you'd really dig this movie yeah, I agree. I definitely, again, as we said, you know, I'm not a, a, a anime 
uh, expert by any means, and I've I've always enjoyed this one. This is definitely, um, you know, I think it's definitely a, a classic animated film. And like for you watching this for the first time, it's always cool. I think when you, because I'm sure you'd been aware of this for a long time, right? Sure. Um, it's always cool to watch something like this, and it turns out to be that you really enjoy it, you know, as opposed to, eh, you know, that didn't really live up to the hype, you know. But, That's one of the things yeah. I love about doing this podcast. I mean, I love that you and I reconnected and talked oh, yeah. every week. That's, I, I just genuinely enjoy uh, talking to you about this stuff. But it, it, there are little assignments. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I've, there's never, we haven't ever done a movie that I have, I haven't agreed to watch something that I have not wanted to watch. Yeah, like and we said, won't ever do that. If you said watch Saw, I'd be like, convince me why I should watch Saw. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and then maybe if you can convince me, I'll do it because you suggest it. But I'm not interested, right? Yeah. I've never said yes to something that I wasn't at least like, okay, that it could be interesting. I'll check that out. Um Akira, I've been aware of. I know it's a seminal thing. I just, you know, and I've had the capacity to rent it at any point my entire life. But until we were like, oh, we should do that. You know, then it gives me this little assignment that I go and check out some of this stuff that I wouldn't. I just, I don't know. I just tune into some Star Trek or some popcorn thing that I feel like watching before going to bed at night. I don't challenge myself. Alone, yeah. I, I historically have not challenged myself to like expand my cinematic experience, and this podcast has been a really fun vehicle to sort of do that. You know, yeah. your recommendations, you're like, oh, you ought, you ought to check this out, and I'm like, well, I really value and respect your opinion, <laughs> so I will do it, and then I'm always yeah. glad that I did. That's good. That's good to hear. Yeah, I feel you know exactly the same way. Um, it's. Uh... Yeah, like I'm glad we watched Zardoz together. I'm glad yeah. I went back and oh, watched it. Oh yeah, exactly. It. That was one. That was like uh, I don't know that I thought Zardoz. You know, going into it would it be on the level of Akira, and it and it wasn't. But that was one. But it was worth know, having watched. Exactly. I mean, you've, yeah, you've heard of it, and it's weird, and you're like, "What's that all about?" So we we watched it, and we had a thought. We watched it thoughtfully, and we had a thoughtful talk about it. And I'm glad I rewatched it. Like I had seen it. Yeah, exactly as you said. It was one of those where, you know, whatever you, it, I'd see a meme of it or something like that, and and I would think, ah, I should watch that, and then I would just never get around to it, you know. But, but with doing the podcast like this, like you said, it's kind of like an assignment, but an assignment in a good way, not like a yeah dread, you know, uh, enjoyable assignments. Thing. Like yeah. you wouldn't, you wouldn't casually just go buy a ticket to see it, but you know. Did Zardoz work? I think probably not. But man, there was a lot of really interesting stuff going on in it. And I'm glad I finally watched it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, yeah. So. All right. So uh, I assume that you would recommend this as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, unless, you know, obviously there are people who just, you know, say, I, I don't, I'm not into Jap- Japanese animation, yeah. you know, somebody like that. But, but otherwise, you know, people that like science fiction. Maybe not um, a casual date movie unless both of you are into it. Yeah. Like if, if you're into, like I said, if you're into the anime and you're into the cyberpunk and you don't mind a little existential horror. Um, but if you're into those things, then absolutely a casual date movie. If you're, yeah, <laughs> if you're into that stuff. Uh, you're both into movies and it. talking about movies. You got to check out it. For sure. 
And this is on uh, this is on Hulu. So if you have Hulu, you can watch this. Then they have Hulu has both versions. So if you if you're a purist and you want to watch it in Japanese with the subtitles, you can do that. Or if you want to watch it dubbed, you know that's the way I watched it. You can watch it dubbed. Hi. So hi. Yeah. So, so. Uh, for so Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail dot com. Um, thoughts, feelings, just a poem. Haiku. We'd that would be if we sent a uh, yeah, poem, that I, would be awesome. We would read it on the air. I Absolutely, on the air. We have tens Absolutely. of listeners. <laughs> I haven't. Have you been checking the email? Because I, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I have it okay. added to my devices. I see okay, cool. all of the, you know, six emails that have ever come in. But it, no, okay. I, I. This is fun. We we do see your emails. Numbers are going up. I mean, we get uh, our. That's it's fun. Our uh, one of our upcoming. Uh, or uh, it's not uncom- upcoming, but um, one that surprised me that Darkly Noon like is doing really well. Yeah, uh, yeah, because I had, had never as, heard of it before. It's had as many downloads as Justice League, uh, yeah. so That's which exciting. I thought was interesting. Yeah, because so I thought, oh, next, this is going to flop. But. For next time, we are going to do uh, Black Swan. Yeah, very excited about that. That's I, I am too because I, I have already seen it. So. Oh, good. And, good. Okay. and I am very excited to talk about it. So, yes. and I know it's Darren Aronofsky, and he is, he is uh, a Denis Villeneuve to you, right? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. So, for so sure. we're going to talk about that for next time. If you have not seen Black Swan, check it out. And uh, if you have seen it, take the opportunity to watch it again. I, I thought it was really, really a lot going on. Really good stuff. Um, yeah, I've only and... seen it once, so this will be... I've always wanted to revisit it and never... That's the thing. Darren Aronofsky, like, uh, especially um, Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for, for a Dream may, may be the best movie that I've only watched once, and I bought it on DVD and never... I watched yeah. it... You know, I rented it and then bought it later, and there has never been a time where I thought, yeah, I'm in the mood to watch that again. That is a know? rough ride, man. Fantastic movie, but I don't know that I'll ever watch it a second time. That is a rough ride. That All right. A, that is a dispiriting film. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, okay, so for next time, we're going to do Black Swan by Derek. Uh, Der- Derek. Derek Schnavisnowski. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and on that note, we will talk to you next week. See you later, everybody. <laughs>